What is up, Calvary Church? Good to see you. Good to see all of you. Again, just a, a wonderful crowd here on our campus. And uh, we had a great crowd in the first service, too, and, and uh, people over here on the sides. Uh, appreciate that. i got to make sure I, my mom's over here. So, you know, if every once in a while you see me zeroing in, it's because uh, she needs the word preached in her direction. Um, but uh, just uh, awesome and people in the back there. So great to have you and great to have all of you that are online with us today. Uh, exciting to be here. And uh, can you believe it's November? That is just crazy. November 1, I was having a little meeting in my office uh, in between services, and I looked out the window, and I was like, no way, no way. Little white things were falling from the sky. It was just nuts. But uh, we are in a new season, no doubt about it. Had a great time last night. We did a very scaled back trunk or treat here at Calvary, and we had cars like every 30 feet or something like that. We were pretty spaced out, but at the same time, it was just great to be able to do something for the community, and uh, we did it safe. You know, we all had gloves on and masks, and I don't know about you, but here's what I'm noticing when I put my mask on and the seasons change now. My nose immediately begins to run. That's just, and the problem is you're tempted to go anyways. Um, we want to jump right in to uh, Revelation because that is the series that we are in. We are in a series just simply called Revelation. And actually, I have to sneak back here so I can see people over there. There we go. And, uh, but uh, we, we are in a series called Revelation, last book of the Bible. Even people that don't do church, they know that the first book is usually Genesis. They've heard of that, and they've probably heard of Revelation. Why do a series on Revelation? I mean, what would, you know, especially as you're moving into November just before Christmas, ah, doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But be honest, at some point during this year, have you not thought, just even an inkling of a thought, what in the world is going on? What in the world is happening? And just when you thought it couldn't get any crazier, maybe it couldn't get any worse, all of a sudden it does. Where is this leading? What is the hope that we have? Why in the world is God allowing this? And where does it head to? What's the culmination? Well, God gives us a sneak peek in the book of Revelation. And that's why we're looking at that book specifically. But here's the deal. For those that are believers in Jesus Christ, and I especially want to get this message to you, the book of Revelation is not meant to scare you. The book of Revelation is meant to prepare you. Can I say that again? The book of Revelation is not meant to scare you. And it can be kind of scary. Uh, even the stuff we're going to go through today, you'll be like, ah. And sometimes, you know, John describes things with eyes and wings. And, oh, man, I didn't even like Lord of the Rings. And uh, so you're like, I don't know if I can handle this. But here's the deal. It's not meant to scare believers in Christ. It's meant to prepare believers in Christ. Prepare us for what is to come. And here is the bottom line. And unfortunately, we don't get to it until the week before Thanksgiving. But what, what a great Thanksgiving it'll be knowing what's in store. We get to it, and what you find out is this. We win. We win. We win. You want to know the one good thing about that isolation period when there were no sports being shown on TV? And I mean, that was, you know, I was like, come on. Of course, after yesterday's game... Let's just have a word of prayer for University of Michigan. Uh, but, uh, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm ready for, for sports to go away again after that. But the, what was really cool is on Fox Sports Detroit, you could know that whatever game you tuned into, whether it was the 1984 Tigers or the, 19, you know, the 2006 Tigers in the playoffs or the Red Wings, or, they were going to win. Even if you didn't know the score and you weren't sure the details of the game, you knew they're picking a game that they're going to show because in the end, we win. Listen, when you get to the back of the book, the end of the book, we win. We win. And so amidst all of the struggle and amidst the challenge of these days, and let's be honest, it's challenging at times, take hope in the end of the book. We win. We win. John has already written, before he gets to Revelation, he's written some letters. 
He's written the Gospel of John, okay? It's in our New Testament as the fourth book of the Bible. If you are a new believer in Christ, if, if, this, if faith in Christ is kind of new to you, if church is kind of new to you, I would encourage you to read the Gospel of John. Read the Gospel of John because John does an incredible job of just kind of giving to us what it was like to experience life with Jesus, but beyond that, the reason that Jesus came and how we can put our faith and trust in him by simple belief in who he is and what he's done. It's a great book. He's written that Gospel of John. Then he wrote the Epistles of John, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. These are short little letters. To be honest, if you wanted to get a head start on your Bible reading, you could go to Revelation and then turn back just a few pages and you'll see 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. You could read those today in the commercials of the first half of the game that you watch, all right? You could read those, those books in the first half commercials of the Lions game today. And uh, they're just short epistles. And the Gospel of John says believe. The epistles of John say be sure. And the revelation of Jesus to John says be ready. Be ready. Because when the time of revelation comes... It comes quick, and it moves fast. In the first part of the book of Revelation we looked at, Jesus gives to John letters to each of the seven churches. There are seven major church hubs. If you are wondering where these churches are at, it would be as if, and I, I know I'm just trying to stretch your imagination, but so you can kind of put some practical aspects to what's going on here. If you were to take and put in I-75, okay, in the middle of Turkey, all right? And each exit, at some of those exits moving up I-75, you would find these church hubs. They were basically located off of a main road, and they were the main church hubs that had been started and established. Jesus has a message for all of those churches, and he gives that to John first. Jesus comes to John and reveals that letter to him, okay? So here's what I want you to do, John. I want you to share this. Before we get to the end, let me talk to you about what's happening now. Get this warning out to the churches, not the non-churched people, the churched people. And if there is a problem with church people, okay, and I is one, so I'm not preaching at you. But if there's a problem with church people, it's the fact that we think that all of God's warnings are for all the people outside the church. They need to get a hold of God and grab his righteousness. And most of the time, Jesus is saying, yeah, no, if you guys would get it together, <laughs> you would affect the rest of the world. And so he writes this letter, and each of those letters, many theologians believe that those letters are written for churches in the different segments of history that we've gone through. And so they believe that as we approach the last days, the Laodicean church, say Laodicean, Excellent. The Laodicean church is the last letter, and they say, that letter is for us. And what Jesus says in that letter is, you are a lukewarm bunch of believers. I would rather you be hot or cold, but the lukewarm stuff doesn't do me any good. And he's not saying, a lot of times, preachers, myself included, have looked at that scripture and thought, well, so he's saying it better, it's better to be cold for Jesus. No, no, no. What he was saying is Laodicea had water that came in from two different cities. They didn't have their own water source, okay? They weren't Wyandotte. Doesn't Wyandotte have everything their own? Anyways, um, so they had to bring it in. And they brought in hot water from one place that actually had hot springs. And they brought in cold water from another place that had actually really ice cold, you know, stream water. By the time it got to Laodicea, you know where I'm going, don't you? You weren't going to take a hot bath and you weren't going to get a cup of cold water. Because it was just lukewarm. And Jesus is saying, that's believers. That's the church. You're lukewarm. And as I look at it, and I see what these people who study God's word a whole lot deeper than I do, and they say, this is the age we're living in, man, you can kind of see it. You can kind of see it. And so the warning that was given to them comes to us. When those letters are written, then John is taken up. Okay? 
We looked at that last week. He is taken up immediately. He was at the throne room of God. And he experiences a triune God. All right? God in three. God in three persons, blessed Trinity. That's God, the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. When we baptize people, we baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. When I share a prayer at the end of a wedding ceremony, we pray in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, because we need all elements of God. And this is a very elementary way to explain it, but if you take the element, chemistry element, that all of us learned... In chemistry, it's the only one we learned, let's be honest, unless you're like in the medical field or engineering or something, you had to keep going. In chemistry, most of you were like, please get me out of here. But you learned, right? What was the one? H2O. Huh? We all learned H2O. That was the big one we could throw around like we were a doctor. H2O. And we need H2O in all of its elements, don't we? Because the ice cubes make the drink cold. The steam tells us the tea is done, coming off of the pot on the stove. And the liquid, huh, we need it to survive. All of it H2O, all of it in different elements. Again, too simplistic, but it gives you some idea and understanding of God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. John is experiencing in heaven all three. Here is God the Father on a throne. Then it's just an amazing sight. And then he sees the seven characteristics of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit is there in the midst of it. And now, when we get to chapter 5, here comes Jesus. Here comes the Lamb of God slain on our behalf. And it's described in Revelation chapter 5, verse 1. Listen to this. Then I saw on the right hand of him who sat on the throne. Who's on the throne? God, God the Father, right. He's on the throne. He's got a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, who's worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. I wept and I wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, he has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by four living creatures and the elders. And the lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, from which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. He went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. Isn't that awesome? Your prayers are being collected, and they are as a worship aroma to God. Bowls of incense, a sweet aroma to the heavenly father. Those are the prayers of his people. And they sang a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals because you were slain and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and every language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. Every nation, every tribe, every tongue, every people. He says the Lamb of God was slain for all the world. Listen, there is no way that you could claim to be a bona fide believer in Jesus Christ and striving to live in the power of the Holy Spirit and be racist. It can't happen. It can't happen. Why? Because John says here they were, every nation, every tribe, every color, every people, and Jesus had shed his blood and died for them 
all. Died for them all. It's a little scary to think that the Church of Jesus Christ in the United States of America thinks somehow we're going to have an elevated position in heaven. <laughs> Ain't happening. God so loved the world. And aren't you glad? Because that included you. And that included me. And he says, because you paid the price, because you shed your blood, he says, you are worthy to open the scroll. You have made them. You've made who? All the people who put their faith and trust in Christ. You've made them to be kings and queens and priests. You are at an elevated position. And he says, they will reign with you on the earth. You want to talk about better days. You want to talk about the best is yet to come. There it is. Because in Scripture, it doesn't get any more elevated than a priest or a king or a queen. And John says, all of those from all over the world, Jesus died for them. And those that put their faith in him, they are part of this kingdom. And they get to reign with him. So there's this seven sealed scroll in the hand of God, okay? Why is it sealed? Because it's done. It's completed. Remember what Jesus said on the cross? As he was nearing the end of his earthly life, and he was getting ready to breathe his last, and he said, it is finished. And the completed work of Christ has now been accomplished, and this scroll is ready to be opened, and the only one that can open it is the one who gave his life. Notice it's sealed by seven seals. Seven is an interesting number and an important number in Scripture. The days of creation were seven. The characteristics of the Holy Spirit on Jesus as described in Isaiah were seven. There were seven spirits that were flying around in heaven that John talks about. There were seven churches that got a letter. Seven is a number of perfection. And seven is the number of seals that were on this scroll. And Jesus comes and he's able to open it. And because of this, all of heaven rejoices. Revelation chapter 5, verse 12. Then I looked and I heard the voices of many angels. Ready for this? Numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. And they weren't wearing any masks. And they weren't practicing social distancing. There were thousands upon thousands upon thousands of them gathered there. And John says it was an amazing sight. And they encircled the throne. And in a loud voice they were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Worthy is the Lamb. I started here at Calvary actually directing the choir. I was the music director, minister of music. I kind of graduated to that role. When I started, I was just the choir director. But I was a music major in college, and this is back in the 80s. And in the 80s, there was a basketball team called the Los Angeles Lakers, one of the great Los Angeles Lakers teams of all time. Oh, the just going to send online crazy, right? They're the greatest now. No, they were the greatest when Magic Johnson was playing. It was back in the 80s, and let's be honest, everything was better in the 80s. But anyways, <clears throat> um, real music, right, Jason? Uh, Magic Johnson, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Jamal Wilkes, Norm Nixon, and a guy by the name of James Worthy. They were the Los Angeles Lakers. They were called Showtime. And there was nothing better than watching the Lakers. I mean, they were phenomenal. Of course, Magic was from here, and I loved watching them. Well, I started leading the choir back in the 80s, and we were getting ready for an Easter musical, and we were singing a song called Worthy, Worthy, Worthy the Lamb that was slain. And I was young, and I had a couple deacons in the bass section. And we would sing that song, and the first time we sang it, I'm like, there's something weird there. It sounds okay. The notes are good, but something. And then I figured out what they were doing. They were going, Worthy, James Worthy. 
We won't be adding James' name in there. Even though he was a great player for the Los Angeles Lakers, <clears throat> I finally did get them to stop you know, singing that for the Easter concert. We didn't want to throw people off. <laughs> Worthy is the Lamb. We'll be able to join in that chorus. And they worship the Lamb, Jesus Christ that was slain. And he comes to unwrap this scroll and unfold it. And as he unfolds this scroll, Events are going to unfold in a seven-year period called the tribulation. Say tribulation. tribulation. Okay. Now, again, this is if you're new to church, and if you're if if you're coming in, and maybe it's been a while since you've been at church, or again, you're new to the faith in that, we're covering some stuff that is it it gets a little deep. There's no doubt about that. Okay. And and uh, I'm just trying to give you the highlights though, because God gives to us a sneak peek. Now, does he give us all the details? No. Why? Because the one thing that pleases God, the one thing that moves the hand of God is what? My faith. Your faith. Okay? God is not moved, if you can believe it, by our tears. He may endeavor to comfort us, he endeavors to wrap his arms of love and grace and assurance around us, but he's not moved by our tears. He's not moved by our anger. He is definitely not moved by our complaints, but he is moved by our faith. And so we don't get every detail of what's going on and what's going to happen, but he's giving to us just enough that by faith we can believe that in the end we win. But in the interim, there is a seven-year tribulation period. And as he opens this scroll, he is about to send onto the earth the judgment of God. Why? Because for thousands of years, the world has been turning its back on God and his son. Can I ask you a question? Let me just throw this out. There. And this is just one little example. You can come up with your own. Truth is, I look in the mirror and I can come up with my own examples of how I have disappointed and displeased a holy God. But, but think of this. Is there any other religion, any other religion, where the name of the main person, the patriarch or the matriarch of that religion is used as a swear word, as a cuss word. No. No. You've never heard somebody smash their finger with a hammer trying to get a nail and go, oh, Buddha. <laughs> but you've heard them say, Jesus Christ, right? And sometimes they even throw in a middle initial, even though Jesus doesn't have one. And, 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 and I, I mean, it's, it, it's a little humorous, and I understand that, but could you understand why after so long, God might just say, you know what, I'm tired of that. He's not a swear word. I sent him to pay for the price of your sin. I sent him to offer you my love and my grace and my forgiveness and relationship with me, and you have turned him into a cuss word. Congratulations, I'm so pleased. No, and that's just, that to be honest is a pretty silly and minor example. And we're about to see the judgment of God, and we might say in our finite minds and hearts, how can a God who is supposed to be so loving be so judgmental. And my question to you would be, how can he not? How can a God that is holy look down and say, nice, you guys are doing well? No. That's why he warns the churches, right? Because he says, look, here's the problem. You want to blame everybody on the outside of your building when the truth is, if you would get your hearts right with me, you have the power to change the world. But you are so concerned with so much stuff that just doesn't matter. And you need to live with eternity at least in the back of your mind. How could a God that demands holiness do any less than at some point judge the world until this time he says what? I stand at the door and knock. 
Now, let me share this with you too, and we will move, trust me, we are going to move this along very quickly, so we're not going to cover these judgments in great detail today, because I do want to cover some stuff, but I want to tell you something ahead of time, and again, we're going just a little deeper, all right? But the tribulation period is a seven-year period of time. There are many theologians who have studied the end times and studied scripture, and they believe in a rapture of the church, okay? A rapture means the church is what? Taken up, okay? What's the example of that? The example of that is even in Revelation, right? Jesus came down to give the message to John to the churches, and then he said, now let me show you what happens when the church age is over, and he takes John, what? Up to heaven. And John, in fact, said, immediately I was there. Paul says that in the twinkling of an eye, we'll be raptured to the church. Now, there are some people, and I just want to make sure you understand this. There are people who believe in a pre-tribulation rapture. That means before the seven-year period, the church of Jesus Christ would be taken to heaven to be with him. Some people believe in a mid-tribulation rapture, okay? The theological slang for that is mid-trib, okay? Now you've got some, you've got some preacher street language. Pre-trib, mid-trib. Oh, man, you throw those words around and preacher's eyes light up. Oh, let's talk. Mid-trip means what? Three and a half years, and then the trip. Some people believe in a post-trib, okay? After the tribulation, the church is caught up. I'm just going to tell you what I personally believe, and the reason I personally believe it is from Scripture. I'm going to show you two or three different reasons why. If you need a more in-depth discussion, Pastor Dan and Pastor Jack are available for lunch every day this week. And you could just bombard them with questions, all right? Or you could, talk to, you could talk to Pastor Eric to get a fresh perspective on the <laughs> tribulation. <laughs> no, I'm going to hear about that. Um, here's why I believe in a pre-trip. And you go ahead. If you believe in a mid-trip and a post-trip, that's not a problem. Have a good time. I'm gone, okay? Um, but here's why I believe in a pre-trip. First of all, Jesus talks about it. Jesus gathers his disciples together, and numerous times he's talking to them, but when we get in the Gospel of John, John records some really important conversations, especially as the time is coming closer for the crucifixion and all things that will go with that, and then ultimately his resurrection. Down near that point in time, Jesus says to his disciples in John chapter 14, verse 1, do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not let your hearts be what? Okay. I know some people. I know some people, okay, who, if we're going to have to go through the seven-year tribulation period, their hearts are going to be troubled. And I'm not going to throw any of you under the bus, but some of you are in this room. Okay? You get anxious when you see your shadow. If you have to live through a seven-year tribulation, oh, my. But Jesus says, don't be troubled. Why would he say that if he was just, you know, if we're going to get to heaven, he's going to go, gotcha. Yeah, no, he's not going to do that, all right? That's, he says, do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms, many mansions. If it were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. I'm going to come and what does he say? I'm going to take you to be with me. Now, when we get to the end of Revelation, and this is, this is like probably the last message, we're going to talk about the fact that Jesus comes back a victorious warrior. He comes back to say, I am done with evil, I am done with injustice, and I'm going to take care of it. In fact, I'm going to take care of it with one word from my mouth. But, he says, I'm going to let all of you get on a white horse and ride with me. Come on. We all get to par be part of 
Tolkien's Return of the King, okay? We all get to be part of it, but we don't have to do nothing. Here's the deal. Why, if we're going to be part of that coming back, that means we already have to be what? Up there, right? And this comes at the end of the tribulation period. I don't think, for those of you that are post-trib, I cannot imagine that a tribulation happens and at the end of it, the church is caught up to heaven and then there's big loudspeakers in heaven that say, five minutes, you have five minutes to change clothes and grab your steed. We're leaving in five minutes. That doesn't make any sense, okay? There's going to be stuff that is happening in heaven in preparation for what's going to take place even during the tribulation. So if the church is coming back with Jesus, we've already got to be with Jesus. Okay? Here's the other thing. There's another portion of scripture where Jesus is talking, and he says in Matthew 24, as in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, up to the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what happened until the flood came and took them away. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Oftentimes, the tribulation period is called the day of the Lord or the coming of the Son of Man. That period is talked about in the Old Testament, in fact. Zephaniah, Joel, Isaiah, Ezekiel, and a guy by the name of Daniel. We'll get to him in just a second. But it's often called the day of the Lord or the day that the Son of Man comes. And Jesus says right here, they didn't know anything about what would happen until the flood came. But what had happened to Noah and his family? What had happened to those who believed God and for them it was counted righteousness? They had entered the ark, right? They were in there. Then the flood came. Then the people were like, where did this come from? Jesus equates that with the day and age in which we're living. We will be taken into the ark. And then the flood will come. As in the days of Noah. So shall it be when the Son of Man comes. And this is the other thing he says. He says, Two women will be grinding with a handmill. One will be taken and the other left. Two men will be out in a field. One will be taken and the other left. Therefore, keep watch because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. Two things here. And I know, I, I feel like we're getting pretty deep, but I'm trying to keep it so we can understand here. He says... Two women going to be working. One is taken, the other left. When Jesus comes back, and again, I, you know, I stand corrected. If, if, if Pastor Dan or Pastor Jack or, or some of you even that have studied, I, I'd love to hear your take on it. But my understanding is when he comes back, he comes back as a victorious warrior. And he brings the church with him, and it's victorious. There's none of this two people here, one's taken, one's left. That's the rapture of the church, okay? That's the rapture of the church. You got a couple people, one's a believer, one isn't. I remember, uh, how are we doing? Okay, I, want, I don't wanna keep you here a long time because I know it's important for you to get in line at McDonald's or something. Um, number of years ago, I'm a little kid, okay? I am the age of some of these that are like with packets, all right, I'm a little kid. I'm at our camp in the Upper Peninsula. So that's an hour north of the Mackinac Bridge, okay, in the forest. And my dad decides to bring in for the camp a new movie that had come out called Thief in the Night. And Thief in the Night was this movie production that had been put out about when the church is taken and those who are unbelievers remain, okay? And if you, bum, 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 isn't that scary? I can still remember that song, and I was like eight. Anyways... It's just, it was like, oh my gosh, scariest thing that I had ever seen as an eight-year-old, all right? Because all these people are taken, and then, you know, there's the mark of the beast, and oh my gosh, it was something else you'd never, they hadn't put anything out like that before in, in Christendom, and we watched the movie, you know, in the dark, and then he dismissed us all into the Hiawatha National Forest, and so... <laughs> I go back to my parents' cabin, okay, and every night my parents would have people come to the cabin. They wouldn't get there till 10.30, okay? The party didn't start until 11. 
And then they would have the speakers and musicians, and they'd stay, and, we, and I, I'd go to bed. Well, that night I went to bed. And I kid you not, the same night they showed this movie, I get up, okay? And this, my brother isn't even born yet. I'm the only one there. I get up, and I yell for my mom, nothing. I climb down off the top bunk, bunk beds. Go out, hello? Nothing. The coffee pot is on. The chairs are still around the room. And I just start crying. I'm like, no! I've been left behind. Oh, I was scared to death of crying. And then both my parents walk in. I'm like, don't ever do that again. Rotten parents. That mom had decided, you know, dad would always take a round of the grounds just to make sure everything was, you know. And mom had decided that night it was such a pleasant night she'd go with him. Great. That was the night I got saved. No. <laughs> That's the night I got saved again. Anyways, that movie talked about the rapture of the church, okay? And, of course, that was a pre-trib rapture that they were talking about. I think that's what Jesus is talking about. Paul says the same thing when he writes to the church in uh, 1 Thessalonians. And in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, he says, Brothers and sisters, I don't want you to be uninformed about what's happening. And he talks about the fact that the day of the Lord will come. And he says, with a shout and the voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God. Did you notice what the voice was that called John up to heaven? What did he say it sounded like? A trumpet. And now here's Paul. John hasn't even written that yet. And Paul is sharing this is what the experience will be for the church. With the trumpet. The dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to be with the Lord forever. And then he says this, therefore, comfort one another with these words. I was not feeling any comfort as a six-year-old getting out of that bed and walking around wondering where my parents were. And it doesn't seem to me that Paul would say, comfort one another with the fact that you're going to live through this terrible seven years, and then, no, no. Here's the other thing. Jesus said, you don't know the day, the time, or the hour. But the church, if we live through the tribulation, we do know. Because Daniel actually gave us the schedule. He said it's going to be seven years. There's going to be three and a half decent years, and then there's going to be three and a half terrible years. That's the tribulation period, seven years. So if the church is going to live through it, can't we then begin to assume, well, this will be about the time it happens. But Jesus said, you don't know when. Don't know when what? You don't know when I'm going to come and take the church home to be with me. Therefore, do everything you can to make a difference right now. Right now. And let me just share with you, as he opens the scroll, in Revelation chapter 6, verse 1, I heard one of the four living creatures say in a voice like thunder, Come, I looked, and before me there, there was a white horse. Its rider held a bow, and he was given a crown, and he rode out as a conqueror bent on conquest. He had a bow, but what's he missing? Arrows, right? Why? Because he's going to ride out and claim peace, peace. This is the Antichrist. And you can get into a whole, again, a whole lot of meaning as to what that means and who this is and all that kind of thing. But truthfully, you can just take that for what it is in English. Anti-Christ. Okay? He is one who will proclaim himself to be God, but he will be anything but. And he will come in on a horse claiming peace. Peace to what? Peace to the whole world. Because the world will be in chaos. Why? Because the church is gone. Think of the chaos that ensued on 9-11. Just think of that. You can probably remember where you were, what you were doing. And my guess is most of you did not finish the day the way you thought you would because we were put into chaos. People in the air landed. People out of town got home. And everything just kind of shut down. Chaos on 9-11. Chaos this past year because of a pandemic. 
Now think of what happens if the church of Jesus Christ is taken up to be with him. Chaos. Chaos. So this guy comes in and says, hey, 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 we're okay. And he claims to be peaceful, but he is the antichrist, and he will set himself up as God. Second seal is in verse 4. He's a red rider, and he brings warfare, killing a great number. The third seal is a rider on a black horse. Famine spreads to the ends of the earth. The fourth seal is death, riding on a pale horse. And he wipes out a quarter of the earth. Again, we maybe haven't experienced that in our lifetime, but if you go back in history to the Dark Ages, famine, war, plagues wiped out a huge amount of the people of Europe. The fifth seal, those martyred for the cause of Christ are given a white robe. Those martyred, you say, what's that mean? It means they were killed because of their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And while you and I enjoy our freedom, okay, and we get kind of, I mean, we, our juices get flowing, right, if, we're, if our freedoms are infringed on a little bit. But we are such a fortunate people. And you have to understand that in the 20th century, more people died for the cause of Christ because they believed in Jesus. More people were killed in the 20th century than all other centuries combined. They were killed for the cause of Christ. And what we enjoy freely today, there are so many in our world who don't get that same privilege. And all of those who have been persecuted and killed for the cause of Christ, they are given a white robe when that fifth seal is open. A sixth seal, catastrophic natural disasters, rattling earthquakes, the sun disappears, the moon turns red, last night it turned blue. Mountains and islands disappear. In between the sixth and the seventh seal, we hit chapter seven, and I have just titled this, this is my own personal opinion, but I've kind of titled this God's final call. Because in between the sixth and the seventh seal, we get to Revelation chapter seven. And in Revelation chapter seven, God appoints 144,000 Jewish evangelists. Again, if you're wondering why Billy Walker believes there would be a pre-trib rapture of believers in Christ, it's because why would he need 144,000 Jewish evangelists to go out and win the world if we have Andy Stanley, Louis Giglio, Craig Groeschel, Joel Osteen, Charles Stanley, all of these preachers, pastors, evangelists, we don't. <laughs> They're gone. And God says, I'm going to give them one more shot. And so he gives the opportunity to 144,000 Jewish evangelists. And can I tell you something? In that final call, millions of people respond. Millions of people realize there is no answer to this. The judgment of God has fallen and they repent and they accept Christ as their personal savior. God's final call. Also during this period, the Jewish temple is rebuilt in Jerusalem. The Jewish temple is built in Jerusalem. Many of you, and again, I'm not, we've already, we've done our political thing, right? A few weeks back, I'm not getting political on you, so, but I will say this. Most people, some of you were like, why did people get so up in arms when we moved our embassy into J Jerusalem? For the Israeli people, Jerusalem is still the holy city. It still means the most. And at some point during this tribulation period, a new temple is built in Jerusalem. However, there is another temple built, and it's not built in Jerusalem. It's built in what John calls Babylon. And it's to honor the guy who came riding in with the bow and no arrows. All of a sudden, he is setting himself up as God. And in Babylon, John says, this other temple is being built at the same time. Then finally, the seventh seal in chapter one is opened. And this is a silence, a brief period of silence, which takes place, just kind of a calm. 
before the next set of judgments falls upon you. You're like, there's more? Yeah. Yeah. And when you read Revelation, you might read, man, I don't see how a holy God, our God of love, could judge the world so harshly. Okay, but could you maybe just turn that around a little bit? Because I don't see how a holy God would ever send his son to die in my place. Why in the world would he do that? Just end it all. I don't deserve it. But yet God said, no, you know what? I love you. And I love you, and I love you, and I love you. I love the world. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And he's a God of love, love so much that he sent his son, but he is a holy God. And he demands a price be paid for sin. And because you and I couldn't pay the price, Jesus said, I'll take it. And he died on the cross for your sin and mine. And if we, by simple faith, respond and invite him to come into our heart and our life, he not only forgives our sin, but the Bible says, and, and we'll even talk about it, he puts your name in reservation book of heaven. He says they're in. Why? Because they're so good? No. Nope. Because I'm so good. And I gave my life on their behalf. What an awesome God. What an awesome God. We'll get into the next set and we'll keep on motoring through. But I trust that as you look at this and as you hear us share this book of Revelation, and again, we're just kind of skimming through it, and I know it's a lot. But I trust that you can see where God is saying, this is not to scare you. This is to prepare you. Because in the end, as you will see if you hang in here with us, he is preparing a place for us. You just can't even begin to imagine. You can't even begin to imagine. And John is going to share a bit more of that with us as we continue to move through our series. Bow your heads together with me in prayer. You know, I closed last week with the verse that Jesus stood at the door of our hearts, and in Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, it says that he stands there and he knocks. And he says, if any man will open the door and let me in, I will come in and we will share a meal together and we will begin a relationship. God is not about religion, but he is all about relationship. And the key is that we have a relationship with his son. That is our ticket into his eternity. And if today, whether you are here with us at our campus or whether you're watching with us online, if you need to accept Christ as your personal savior, if you wanna know that your sins are forgiven, if you wanna know that you're right with God, if you wanna know that heaven is your eternal destiny, then today I wanna lead you in a prayer and I invite you to pray that prayer with me. Just repeat this prayer in your heart. You don't even need to say it out loud. He'll hear you. But if it's what you desire and it's what you believe, Paul says in Romans chapter 10, verse 9, that if we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in our heart that God has raised him from the dead, we will be saved. Saved from our sin, saved from hell, saved from God's judgment, saved into his heaven. If you want to know that today, I want to encourage you just to pray this prayer. Repeat after me. Just say, Dear Jesus, I do believe you love me and that you came and died and rose again for me. Come into my heart, forgive my sin and save me. I make you the Lord of my life. If you prayed that prayer and you're here with us today at our campus, would you just, just quietly, quickly, just slip up your hand and then put it down. Say, yeah, that's me today, Billy. Yeah, God bless you. Just slip it up and put it down. That's me today, Billy. I prayed that prayer. I invited Christ to come into my life.
If you're watching with us online, there's a little tab that appeared on your screen that says, Today I accepted Christ as my Savior. Just hit that tab. And by clicking that tab, in a sense, you're lifting your hand. I can't see you today. I don't even know your name, but God does. And we believe the decision you made, just like those that made it here on our campus, is an eternal one. And Father, I pray right now for those who lifted their hands, whether they're here with us in person or whether they're watching online. I pray, Father, that you would do something in the next few days in a tangible way to help them realize the significance of the decision they made today. I pray that even the rest of this day would be different, that they would have a keen understanding of how much you love them, that they would fully understand that you have come to live in them, that their past has been forgiven, and that you've written their name down in a reservation book of heaven. And for their decision today, Lord, we thank you. And Lord, our prayer is for those who already know you, and that's quite a few of us today. Father, our prayer is that not only would we be prepared for you to come, but our prayer is that you would help us to do everything we can in the days that we have left to prepare others, to invite others, to share the good news with others. We are living in the church age, Lord, before the final days, and you want to use your people to be a light in life. May we do that. Father, may we do that this week. May we do that even on Tuesday, and especially on Wednesday. May we understand that no matter who is in the White House, you are on the throne, and you are King of kings and Lord of lords. And may we trust your leading and guiding in our lives, and may we love and be light as you have been to us, to those who so desperately need it. Thank you for meeting with us here today. Thank you for the promise of heaven. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Amen.